0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, thirteen fifty on your AM dial, one hundred three point nine on your FM dial serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Uh, Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And by the way, on the website, veritascatholic.com, if you want to give some feedback, not just on our show, but on any show on Veritas, uh, there is a feedback or testimonial testimony uh, tab on there where, hey, if you love us, if you hate us, or anywhere in between, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to help out Joe and and I. Um, our website is thefrontlinetv.com, thefrontlinetv.com, and you can find us on YouTube at The Frontline TV, and you'll get all of our content there. And today, we are very uh, pleased and honored to be joined by Michael O'Neill, and we're going to be discussing his new book, They Might Be Saints on the path to sainthood in america it's funny i feel joe restinello this is definitely providential because we're always talking about the need for saints and the only thing that's going to save our beloved nation are saints so it's great that we have michael on the show now many of you out there uh know exactly who michael o'neill is having said that i want to give a brief introduction ewtn's michael o'neill is the prodigious creator of the documentary series they might be saints the radio program the miracle hunter and the popular web website miraclehunter.com he is a recognized expert on Marian apparitions and he's appeared on nbc the dr oz show and faith-based media platforms worldwide michael o'neill welcome to the front line with joe and joe it's great to be with you guys thanks thank you
1: michael we always start with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer and this is a good thing in the name of the father son holy spirit amen remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence we fly into you a virgin of virgins our mother to you we come before you we stand sinful and sorrowful O mother of the word incarnate despise not our petitions but in your clemency hear and answer us amen in the name of the father son holy spirit amen michael before before we get into the book and talk about saints, because as Joe said, I've always say this, only saints change the world, and we have to strive to be saints. We're all made to be saints, and as Mother Angelica would always say, don't miss the opportunity. Um, clearly, you know, and I'm not just saying this, you're a gifted person. I mean, you, you create documentaries, you have a radio program, um, you know, your work has been around the block. Uh, how do you get involved in this? I mean like to be honest with you i mean i always ask people that because i i think it's in i'm interested because i mean clearly uh, a lot of people who make movies and do things they're not making movies about mary you know what i mean so clearly you are and i want to know how you got there
2: well i think uh you can probably um look at my nickname or my moniker miracle hunter and notice that everything i do has some sort of a connection to miracles and so we can look at this book, They Might Be Saints, and the TV show, They Might Be Saints. And you might say, well, saints are interesting, but what about miracles? As we'll get on to discuss, uh, in order for somebody to advance along that path to sainthood, two miracles need to be found uh, through their singular intercession in order for them to be named saints. So the, it was the miracle element that kind of uh, brought, me, brought me into it. But I think we can trace this all the way back to my mother. Uh, she uh, was a devout Catholic with the with devotion to Mary. And growing up, she used to always talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And one of the reasons was is because as a a young person, actually her mother, my grandmother fell away from the Catholic faith and it was, uh, she made this sort of deal with God like we like to do as Catholics, right? She said, you know, God, if you bring bring my mother back to the Catholic faith, you know, I will uh, become a school teacher someday. And every single student I teach on December 12th, I'll teach them the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe And if I have any children someday, every December 12th, I'm gonna tell them that story of the miracles of the Tilma and those apparitions. And uh, you might look at me and you say, that guy doesn't have a drop of Mexican blood in his body. And that's true. I have no idea why my mother was so attracted to uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, the famous Mexican devotion. But sure enough, my grandmother came roaring back to the Catholic faith. And uh, my mother went on to become a school teacher. And every December 12th, her students heard that story. And we as children, for this story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, so, so from a very young age, I had a fascination with miracles because of my mother's devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Fast forward some years, when I went to Stanford University for my undergraduate degree, I uh, took a class in archaeology, and sure enough, the professor said, uh, "For your final paper, write about one artifact that has an impact on the history of the world." And of course, I chose the tilma of our lady of guadalupe and so when i did that research uh, i spent so many hours more than i'll ever want to admit but i realized that the church actually doesn't just recognize fatima Lourdes, and guadalupe as miracles or as apparitions there are hundreds or thousands of cases that have been claimed worldwide and some have been actually approved and promoted by the catholic church so i said someday when i get old I'm going to put this engineering degree aside and focus on miracles because I think it's so interesting. Sure enough, I founded the website miraclehunter.com and secretly, sort of at night, I, I was an engineer by day. And at night, I would uh, sort of fill up this website with uh, stories of Marian apparitions and other miracles. And later, uh, Megan Kelly came calling and Dr. Oz and National Geographic and all these things uh, sort of blew the lid off of my secret endeavor. And I uh, opened the doors and became uh, the miracle hunter going forward. At that point,
0: I, I I love it. Michael O'Neill's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. I'm sorry, Michael, to take you in this direction, but I got to ask. I mean, do, don't you remember when when the late Christopher Hitchens was alive, and he constantly reminded us that David Hume told us there are no such things as miracles? Um, very briefly, because I'm just I'm just just to find for our audience very 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 briefly what is a miracle, and 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 how can we rationally believe. Uh, and reasonably believe in in the in the existence of miracles.
2: That's right. and that uh, that David Hume's uh, uh, mindset, I, I outlined that in my book Exploring the miraculous. you know he said something like uh, miracles are impossible because miracles can't happen. you know how's that for some circular logic? But when we talk right. about miracles, we talk about those things that um, are remarkable are they're rare uh, that they uh, perhaps they go beyond our human experience. And they can't just be things that are, uh, 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 you know, they're, they're not just marvels. They're not just uh, things that we, uh, we are, or, or, uh, look at and, and, and f- find to be beautiful. These things imply divine intervention. So in these cases where God has worked something for the good, in these cases where uh, we can truly see the hand of God in them, those are the things that are looked at as miracles by our Catholic faith. And when it comes to miracles, it's quite interesting. I think the Catholic Church handles it absolutely perfectly. People have all kinds of uh, problems with the Catholic Church from you know, head to toe. But when it comes to miracles, I think that you, nobody can argue with it because they say that if you don't want to believe in these modern miracles, you don't have to. You know, you, you don't have to uh, believe that the uh, miracles of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the tilma, you could say, nah, I think that's a painting. I don't think that's really, you know, miraculous. You could say that and you could still be a good catholic or you could say the miracles of lourdes all those 70 uh, approved cures of the 7000 that have been recognized by the medical commission there you could say science doesn't know what it doesn't know those aren't miracles you know those aren't true miracles you could say that and you could still get into heaven uh, or you could say uh, fatima those children were just making it up you know you could say that that was something that they were uh, they were they got together they got their story straight and they wanted to get some attention You could say that, but you, you know, give me a call, go to my website if you think that, I'm going to prove you wrong, but you could say that and still be a Catholic in good standing. So the church says that, you know, we believe in the miracles of the gospel and the words and works of Jesus Christ, but these modern miracles, if they help our faith, great. But if it's something that uh, distracts us or creates an obsession in us or just sends us in the wrong direction, don't focus on them at all. You don't have to believe them in the first place anyway. So. The Catholic Church handles this absolutely perfectly. I,
0: I think I think so, and I'm going to hand it over back to Joe Restinella. I just I, I just got to say, number one, the Catholic Church is the first skeptic when it comes to miracles and does the investigations. So that's number one. And number two, yeah, the three little kids, they conspired with the other 70,000 people who saw the sun dancing in the sky.
1: Joe Restinella, where do you want to go from here? You, you talk about miracles, Michael, and I mean, if you – we could talk about some recent ones. We'll talk about John Paul II. He becomes a saint in six years, two massive miracles. A French nun has Parkinson's disease. She's young, in her forties, debilitating, she's cured. I believe there was a woman in Costa Rica also was the second miracle. It's hard not to acknowledge that. And I wanna explore why people don't acknowledge miracles. I believe it's hubris. No matter how smart you are, no matter how gifted you are, we're limited. We're human. And there is the mysterious that, that basically God, God is mysterious. How does the Eucharist turn into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ at every mass? Who could define that? St. Augustine, one of the greatest minds in Christendom, tried to explain the Trinity. Probably the best explanation there is. It's still a mystery. A miracle is a mystery. I'm a simpleton, Michael. I say I have a blue collar. I'm a blue collar guy. I went to Harvard on the Hudson. That's where I went to school. And I'll tell you what, I believe in miracles because I believe God could do anything. And I don't have all the answers and I can't write them all down. And I accept that. Why do you think people don't believe these things?
2: Well, I have a couple of theories on this and, you know, I've I've given some thought to this uh, exact question is that You know, when we talk about Catholic miracles, and and we're we're gonna talk about these things specifically, things like Eucharistic miracles, the stigmata, incorruptible saints. Uh, These are things that uh, we find in our Catholic faith, but in nowhere else, no other religion comes close to claiming these things. If you were to say as a non-believer, that Eucharistic miracle, I can't get around the science or those incorruptible bodies of the saints, I don't know why it only happens to Catholics. If you were to say those things, you'd have to say, well, if I'm going to become a believer, I need to sign up for the Catholic faith. And so if you're not actually willing to follow the doctrine and dogma of the Catholic faith, you're going to push the miracles aside uh, very quickly. Now, when it comes to healing miracles, and I think the, the miracles of the saints, as I talk about in my book, they might be saints. And on the TV show of the same name, we talk about things that both Catholics, Protestants, and otherwise can get excited about, because these are things that we see across different faith traditions. And, uh, and as you mentioned, the church is the first skeptic. So these, uh, these cases that they do approve, the science is incontrovertible. So you absolutely have to uh, understand that something outside the norm, something perhaps miraculous happened. The question remains though, was it a saint who interceded? And was it, uh, was it the work of God? So that's the question that people still get hung up on. But I think mm-hmm. healing miracles are the point that, uh, that almost anybody can get around.
0: Michael O'Neill joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. And we are discussing his book, They Might Be Saints, On the Path to Sainthood in America. So, as we said earlier, Michael, uh, the world needs saints. Okay? And, um, you know, Joe, like I said, Joe says on the show all the time, only saints change the world. With that said... Um, Why did you create this this documentary series? Tell our listeners about the series, where they could find it, just an overview.
2: So the program, They Might Be Saints, airs on EWTN at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Fridays, every single Friday. And uh, we've done a number of episodes, 15 episodes so far, and there are more uh, in the works to be filmed. And uh, this has been a great blessing for me because uh, I wanted to do a program on EWTN about miracles. And you know when, when you talk about, when you look at budgets, when you look at the miracles of the United States, you don't have that many to do, but then you focus a little bit more clearly and you say, who are the real miracle hunters of the United States? And you have to say the vice postulators and the members of the causes of saints in the United States, because for every person who's to advance from servant of God, venerable, blessed, and then saint, two miracles need to be found. And there are people whose full-time job it is To find miracles attributable to that future saint so i wanted to tell the story of americans on the path to sainthood and the search for canonization miracles so you have that that great combination which is everybody loves the story of a saint especially american saints i think when we see somebody beatified or canonized in the united states we have sort of a sense of american pride or catholic pride that that's happening on our own soil and then we hear the stories of miracles and everybody loves a good miracle story so I think when you put the two of those together, it's a a winning
1: concept. Mm. I would agree. Uh, and, And Saints are like superheroes, but they're real. And I think that the church should really sell that because like years ago in the movies, there were movies like St. Joseph Cupertino. That was a film I've seen. I have, I own it. Um, you know, great movies about saints, their stories. We could relate to them. They were people who made a choice and they persevered. Um, let's talk about some American saints. One that's very close to my heart is Solanus Casey. Um, I love that saint. actually humble humble man um i could cry he's so humble and so good talk about him he was from uh i believe the midwest and then he made his way to new york then he went back to indiana he was been detroit the whole deal give us a little background on solanus because you talk about american pride there's some pride right there in that man Absolutely.
2: Uh, Blessed Solanus Casey. He was the most recent episode of They Might Be Saints that we just filmed and that aired in December. So this is uh, one of the the best and latest of our of our episodes. People can go to EWTNRC.com to actually see that. And so uh, Blessed Solanus Casey is, uh, you know, he's he's one of my favorite saints because he is so humble, like you say, and he's also this miracle worker. So he was born in Wisconsin. He, he, you're right. He routed through New York and then uh, Indiana. Then he ended up in Detroit, and he wanted to become a priest, but he didn't have the intellectual acumen or the uh, academic background to be uh, be ordained fully as a priest. So he was ordained a simplex priest, and so they had they he had limited capabilities as a priest. And what they did is they said, "What are we going to do with this uh, with this simple friar, Capuchin friar?" They said, "We're going to have him answer the door." So he became the doorman there for the monastery. And people would come and he would greet them kindly and hear their stories and let them in and direct them. But soon word spread that this uh, amazing humble Capuchin, he had these uh, gifts for healing. So people would say, you know, uh, my brother has been in a car accident or my my sister's family has lost work or whatever it was. And th- he would pray with, with them and say, don't worry, it will be all right. And he would pray with them and these great miraculous events would happen. And uh, he had this great phrase, which I really love and kind of rings in my ears when I'm praying for things. He says, blessed be God in all his designs. Mm -hmm. So however things work out, that was God's plan uh, that they work out that way, but blessed be God no matter what. And uh, he was just this incredible friar. And one of the stories that I loved, uh, we actually interviewed some people who knew him while he was living in this episode of They Might Be Saints. And uh, one of the beautiful stories was that Uh, Father Solanus had a violin, and he wasn't necessarily the world's best uh, violinist, but he played it anyway, but he specifically played it for our Lord, so he would go in adoration and get out that violin and pray and, you know, during Christmas season or otherwise and play for the baby Jesus, just him and our Lord together with his squeaky violin, and I just thought that was so beautiful to hear the friars who would say, you know, we snuck into the chapel to hear uh, Blessed Solanus playing, so... An amazing, amazing future saint, uh, blessed. When he was beatified in Ford Field, he got, got more people than a Detroit Lions team would. I think he got seventy thousand people showing up for his beatification. So absolutely amazing. You know, if I've you want to enough- hear,
0: if you want to see, like a sign of of like we always talk about how you know sometimes Michael Michael O'Neill joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Sometimes we feel in America is like ah oh, things are so hopeless. I think about that seventy thousand people at Ford Field for a celebration of a mass for Solanus Casey. I said, ah, there is hope out there. <laughs> With that, Joe Racinello, I apologize. I no, cut it's you okay.
1: off. I've read a, a number of books on Solanas. A uh, couple of things I wanted just to note. When he was um, basically uh, exhumed, his body was still pink. And the interesting thing about Solanus Casey was the casket took on water. So there's no way that that should have happened. I mean, the body was in the ground. It took on water, and yet there were aspects of his body. It was as pink as, like, you know, someone that's alive. Also, I think the secret to Solanus Casey, this is my opinion. This isn't the church opinion, but I'm going to share it because this is my show, and I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) This is why I think Solanus Casey was holy. He accepted the fact that he was a simplex priest. You see, God sometimes throws stuff at us that— isn't in our plan and it's for us to accept and to trust him and he did and that's what what made him holy in my view you know many of us when we have our plan we think we you know this is what we have to do and god throws a curveball at us and then we just say we we get frustrated or we get angry solanus didn't do that and I think that's why God channeled grace through him. Now, that's not the church's opinion; that's my opinion. I will preface that, but that's what I think. I, I'm interested in your thoughts because you look at a lot of saints. And what do you think about that, Michael?
2: Yeah, I think that's really a really nice way to summarize uh, Solanus Casey. You know, I think again, blessed be God in all His designs. I think that's uh, you know that's so important um, that we we look at it that way as well. And so uh, Solanus is a great example for us you know, in our modern world and, and for, for uh, the church going, going back uh, to to when he was, when he was alive. So I think that uh, Solanus is a great intercessor and I am quite sure that he will be a saint in short order. There are many miracles that are claimed through the intercession of blessed Solanus Casey. I
1: awesome. also want awesome. I also want to talk about another one that Joe and I did a show on uh, Cappadano because uh, he's an American um, battleship named after him. He's from Staten Island. I mean, this guy is no joke, and and, and people should look into him. Uh, talk about Father Cappadano, New York-born, Fordham grad, um, worked with the Marines, gave his life in Vietnam.
2: Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, we, we talk about these Mary Knoll priests, and uh, Father Elisha Schwartz is another one uh, who, who is uh, noted. And when we talk about Father Vincent Capadano, of course, he is a servant of God. So in my book, I outline the lives of 24 Venerables and Blesseds, and we can talk about the canonization process a little further. But the very first step in the canonization process is servant of God. And so uh, when we talk about Vincent Capadano he is in that very first slot. In the last chapter of the book, I outline everybody from America who has uh, who is in that first slot. And uh, so we may see him being declared Venerable at some point in the future. And what's interesting about Father Vincent Capadano is, he was a military chaplain and there is a path to sainthood that Pope Francis instituted just a few years ago. It's called a Vitae, which is the laying down of one's life for another. So some of these military chaplains like Father Emil Capon or Vincent Capadano who are servants of God, these are classic examples of people who gave up their life out of their faith and their love for, for their fellow man. And so, um, you know, we, we see as a possibility this alternate path to sainthood, and Father Vincent Cabadano might be the very first person uh, who gets canonized along this path. So I think that's a very interesting thing to watch in his case.
0: Well, while we're on the subject, Michael O'Neill, who's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, and we are discussing Michael's book, They Might Be Saints on the Path to Sainthood in America. Talk about the path, Michael. Let's, uh, let's pick it up here um and and take your time with it we may or may not get to you know we might have to go to the other side of the break which is fine we probably have about seven minutes or so but what is it? like a lot of people might say um you know you hear the phrase santo subito santo subito a bunch of italians in uh, you know in vatican square when uh, pope saint john paul ii died santo subito there's a process You know, like even I knew that at the time to say, all right, relax a little bit. You got to there is actually a process to the thing. what um, generally what is the the process? Not everybody is a saint. Not everybody will be declared a saint. Um, And there's a definite process that the church follows. So uh, enlighten our audience in that regard.
2: Absolutely. I think the I think the concept that a lot of people have is that somebody has an idea for somebody who might be a saint and they whisper in the ear of the pope. In Rome, and he says that sounds good. Let's let's uh, canonize that one. That's it how it happens that- in Jersey, Michael.
0: Not yeah, yeah, <laughs> not,
2: not in Rome. <laughs> well, well, believe it or not, I, I uh, interviewed the uh, the postulator of uh, the uh, cause for Dorothy Day, uh, also from New York, and uh, there there was that uh, discussion or claim that maybe uh, when the Pope had visited the United States a few years ago, uh, you know, he had mentioned Dorothy Day in one of his homilies or one of his uh, speeches. And, uh, you know, they were actually asking him, what do you think of uh, canonizing Dorothy Day while you're here, like he did in the case of Junipero Serra. Why not just, you know, pull one out of your hat and canonize her? But uh, that didn't really happen that way. But when we look at the, the process, you know, it's evolved over the centuries. In the early centuries, only martyrs were canonized. And then later on, they looked at people who were miracle workers and lived lives of heroic virtue. This was looked at later. Uh, and then. Uh, the local bishop often would be the one who would do canonizations. Later, Rome got involved, and I detail all that in my book. They might be saints, but the modern canonization process, as uh, revised by Pope John, the Paul in 19, Pope John Paul II in 1983, we have a, a, a series of events. You have to go through the first stage, servant of God, and that's sort of you're out of the gate. You're officially recognized by Rome, and now it can all begin. Servant of God. And then venerable. That is when the church un- uncovers everything that you've ever done all your documents, all your speeches, all your books that you've ever written, all the comments you've ever made get analyzed by the church. And I don't know who, I don't know if I know anybody who could have undergone that scrutiny and, and pass muster, you know, when it comes to the way the church validates that life of heroic virtue. And uh, if somebody has been declared that way, then the search for miracles is on. So we go looking for cases of singular intercession. So these are cases where the person must be prayed to singularly. So we have these cases uh, where uh, you know somebody goes in for a surgery and uh, it, ha- it has to happen before any medical treatment is, pro- is applied. So must be a serious condition, not liable to go in its own. It must be an instantaneous, complete and lasting cure. And there can be no med- medical treatment that relates to that cure. So before the surgery or the surgery didn't work or all the treatment didn't work, those are the cases of miracles that are looked at. And then they look at singular intercession. So I don't know about you guys, but when I need a miracle, when I need help, I'm praying to all my friends, the saints, so open that everybody up there in heaven, you know, can whoever answers the phone can help me out. But in <laughs> cases of uh, singular intercession, it must be you and your family and all your friends have to pray to just that one saint. So, you know, you can imagine uh, going to Rome and saying, well, I, I prayed to John Paul II and Mother Teresa and St. Therese but I pray to this person who might be a saint. I really think it's the might be saint. They'd say, congrats on the miracle. We're gonna go with one of those other proven saints, not your might be saint. So you have to pray to somebody and just that one person. So it's a pretty tricky thing. And then one miracle is blessed, two miracles after the beatification uh, leads somebody to become a saint.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Michael O'Neill joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. So um, we we have a couple minutes for the break. Let's start on another question. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you.
1: I, I think this will be a, like a good uh, conversation until we get to the break. You mentioned Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was a radical person. I am also very versed in her life. Dorothy Day had an abortion. Dorothy Day was a communist. Dorothy Day was a heathen living in Manhattan in the 20s. Dorothy Day is a saint. She was radical. She had a child. She baptized the child. She became a Catholic, and she never looked back. She took care of the poor. She lived the walk. I mean, she walked the walk, and she talked the talk. And it just shows you how people can change, the grace of God. That's what saints do. They give us an example, and they point to Christ. And I brought that up, Michael, specifically because she was not only a regular person, she was on the wrong road and look at her now.
2: Yeah, she is definitely on the path to sainthood. She's uh, recognized as a servant of God and perhaps venerable blessed and saints coming soon. And we hope to do a program on her life on uh, EWTN as well. So, um, you know, I think when you talk about you know, these, 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 these conversions, these turns, the very important thing is that we all struggle. We all, you know, we all fall down. And, you know, the saints are the ones who get back up again. And, uh, you know, being a saint doesn't mean that you are perfect. However, in the canonizable variety of saints, those that go along this path officially in Rome, they do find a, a point of demarcation sort of where you left your old life behind. And so, you know, there are no, there's no such thing as somebody who is kind of sinning up to the, you know, publicly egregiously sinning up to their the moment of death and then they you know you know they 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 maybe worked it out at the end but Uh, they find these people who had these moments of conversion or these, like you say, the the daughter who was born and baptized, and perhaps that sent Dorothy Day on a new path, but um, the church looks at these moments of conversion, and those are the people that they can say are great examples, just like all of us who struggle, but make that turn and devote our life to Christ uh, exclusively, so I think Dorothy Day would be a a great blessed and saint if that were to happen someday.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, One of the things in my journey, Michael, that I heard uh, a few years ago, I think Bishop Barron put it this way. He said, uh, "He said uh, saints are not perfect." I'm paraphrasing. Saints are not perfect. They they recognize their sins more acutely than than others. Like that's that's what you know. Recognizing one's own sins um, is obviously you know a a means by which you know we could acknowledge the things and like Joe's talking about with Dorothy Day and other people. Saint Augustine perfect example you know lord make me chaste. not yet you know so yeah they recognize their sins they do something about it they put down the old man put on the new we have to leave it there for a moment michael real quick um and then we'll go to the break where can people buy your book
2: people can go to the website saints.com, and they can uh, connect to the the program and the book uh on that website
0: all right, they might be saints on the path to sainthood in America. Michael O'Neill's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Member on the website veritascatholic.com, veritascatholic.com. There is a tab on there where you can give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the station. Let us know what you think of our show. We'd really appreciate it. So stick around. We have another segment with Michael O'Neill and looking forward to it, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear the Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joan Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at eight o'clock, tune in for the only late night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's not that late with Liv Harrison, and at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at veritascatholic.com or on the mobile app.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello way in the breach. We're talking about sainthood in America with Michael O'Neill discussing his new book, They Might Be Saints. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 1039 on your FM dial. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello.
1: Michael, in in the bio, Joe P. talked about the website you created, Miracle Hunter. Um, I'd like to explore that a little bit because I always say this as well. Men believe what they see. Not necessarily what they hear, and and there are some incredible miracles uh, that are basically uh, recorded in the Catholic faith. Could you talk about some more noteworthy ones, maybe even some recent ones? Because to be truthful with you, even if you're a non-believer and you're just curious, uh, I, I think it's something to look into. And frankly, I think it could open some people's eyes to potentially looking into the church's truths.
2: Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, uh, miraclehunter.com is my website uh, that that I've been running for 20 years now. And that's where, you know, I started out cataloging all the Marian apparitions of the world. And, you know, I I did this sort of quietly, but now it's it's, it's much more public, of course, but um, part of the thing with me i'm sort of i'm an engineer uh in as a have ba- having a background but i'm a skeptic as much as i am a believer i need to be shown proof in order for me to sink my teeth into something when it comes to miracles anyway saying that you know that that is something worthy of belief and so the church has a very uh long process and i i i dedicate some pages of my website to that process as well, it's pretty important to understand that the church doesn't just approve anything willy-nilly. It goes into some serious investigation and never says something is worthy of belief unless there is good reason for that. So there are plenty of things that have been red flagged and thrown out, uh, but uh, those things that the church says are worthy of belief, those are really worth looking at as a Catholic believer. So um, when we talk about, you know, great miracles, you know, we can talk about uh, the apparitions of Our Lady of Guadalupe or Fatima or Lourdes. Those are absolutely amazing places. And I've been to all those places. I lead people uh, on pilgrimages around the world. People can go to pilgrimages.com miraclehunter to join me on my next trip. But we go to all these places around the world that have been recognized by the church. Uh, but we also talk about, you know, we can talk about places like St. Januarius uh, in Naples in Italy. They've got the world's best pizza, but they also have this case of a third century Bishop martyr, whose blood liquefies every year uh, on his feast day, uh, except on the years when it doesn't. And then they see things like uh, earthquakes and uh, volcano eruptions and financial collapse. But that's perhaps for another show. But i think some of these modern miracles we talk about padre pio i did an episode on of called miracles of padre pio on ewtn and i encourage people to check that out that's one of my favorite programs that we ever did and we filmed it in san giovanni rotondo in italy during the big anniversary celebration where we had hundreds of thousands of people gathered uh to celebrate the life of the great uh, of the great friar their captain friar but i also was able to interview some people who had received actual miracles uh received through padre pio and perhaps my favorite one uh and there are three there are three dynamic ones and i think people will be blown away by the miracles featured on that program but i uh i interviewed a woman who at a very young age at two years old, she was taken uh, to see Padre Pio in the year 1968. Now Padre Pio, he died in the year 1968. So this was the very last year of his life. And so his mother uh, took this girl uh, from uh, from the New Jersey area actually. And that girl, has, her bladder had been surgically removed. and because she was about to die and that was the only way to save her and the mother took this girl on the plane she had all these tubes hooked up to her and they she took her to see padre pio and she got a private audience with padre pio padre pio blesses her and uh she goes back home and sure enough she has to go back and see the doctor and the doctor said don't take her she's going to die on the airplane but sure enough she lived and so they took her back in to to be checked up on and when they looked at her and did the uh, the medical tests and the and they found that her bladder had grown back, and anybody who knows anything about medicine will say. Bladders do not grow back, and who was the doctor who uh, had done the surgery removing the bladder? It wasn't some hack; it was someone named C. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General in the United States uh, in the future. So, uh, so absolutely amazing story of a of of an incredible healing at the hands of perhaps the greatest miracle-working saint. I'll give you one more miracle that's on my website as well. Robert Gutherman. I actually uh, met with Robert uh, in in person in the Philadelphia area. We had Dinner one night. And, uh, you know, I'm not much of a crying guy, but, you know, hearing Robert's story brought me to tears. So here was this guy, Philadelphia area. He was growing up. He had this uh, um, ear infection, and the ear infection was so severe that it actually ate the bones out of his ear. Okay. He goes deaf in one ear and his family is distraught at this uh, turn of events. And they live across the street from the convent where uh, Catherine Drexel was the, was the, the prioress there, or the head mother. And so they knew that she was supposed to be holy, so they began to pray uh, to Catherine Drexel. And sure enough, the boy's hearing came back. He could hear out of both ears. And so, you know, he went under medical testing for many years, many years. And eventually Robert, as a, as an adult man said, you know i've been coming here for so many years what's going on what's going on with my ears and the doctor said actually there's nothing wrong with your ears i guess you know you can hear perfectly and the structure of your ears is perfectly fine there are bones in your ear so the bones grew back in the ears of robert gutherman and he retained per- he got perfect hearing as a result of this miracle and sure enough as an adult then the miracle was validated by the vatican and she went on to be blessed and the a subsequent hearing miracle for another girl actually led to her, B- her canonization in the year 2000. So St. Catherine Drexel, as we have her. So uh, absolutely amazing miracles that, you know, science has no explanation for these types of things.
1: Let's talk that's, about that's Catherine the thing I Dre- think That is amazing. I think that,
0: uh, Joe, I'm sorry, but that, that's uh, just to uh, refer back to Joe Resinello's point earlier. It's harder not to believe in them. It, it really, really is. Michael O'Neill joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. You look at these things and you say, "Okay, uh, Mr. Atheist Skeptic, you explain that." Well, you know, when they come up with these, like, have, talk about straining and stretching to try to come up with an explanation. We don't have to strain and stretch, like you just said, Michael O'Neill. Okay, the guy didn't have bones, now he's got bones. The girl didn't have a bladder, now she's got a bladder. Something happened in between. They prayed to this person. I don't know. It sounds kind of linear and logical to me. You know, something happened, an action took place, and then something happened after that. To me, that, it's, it's so beyond, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you say, well, look, man, if, you're, if you call yourself a scientist, you follow science, well, then you, you have to explain how that man, the bones in the man's ear grew back. Sorry to get so animated about that, Michael, but the thing is, it bothers me when I'm the first one, when I hear some of these stories, to roll my eyes. I'm not gonna lie. I I, kind of like, really? Everybody's got a miracle. But as you said, the first skeptic is the church. And when they do the investigation, and they find out "Uh, something happened here. um, And uh, we're gonna dig a little bit deeper then I say, Okay, well, that means that I could I could, uh, you know, I could believe I can believe that took place because I know the investigation has been done. Sorry to get long-winded, but, but it's one of those things where I'm, the skeptics sometimes get on our nerves at, at the front line with Joe and Joe. You know.
2: <laughs> well, I think what, what's so interesting and ironic is that it takes great faith to be an atheist.
0: Yes, and they hate when you say that too, but that's why we have to keep saying it. It takes more faith to be an atheist. Joe Restinello, where are we
1: headed? No, I just wanted to talk about Catherine Jexel for a moment because— I think her story is amazing too. She was wealthy. Like she was it she was going to inherit like it would be equivalent to like Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of J.P. Morgan. That's who her dad was. And she was presented to the, po- she went to the Pope, you know, when you're that rich, you go, you meet the Pope. You know, she went to go and sat in front of the Pope and she said, well, we should help these poor people. She wanted to help. Uh, was it Indians uh, or or was it African-Americans? Oh, in both, the- actually, both. Okay. And, and the Pope said, why don't you do it? You see, that's the question Christ says to us. Why don't you do it? And she did. And that's the grace. You see, I always say this, Michael, honest to God, we got to get out of the boat. I've seen this in my life. When you give Christ an inch, he gives you a foot. When you give him a foot, he gives you three feet. When you give him a mile, he gives you 10. When we stretch ourselves, it's in that space of sacrifice. When we're groping in darkness, as she probably did, God works because God's real and God is reality. You see, people don't believe that. They're like, who's this crazy Italian guy from New Jersey talking craziness? No, I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) When you step out of that boat and you are like in that darkness because you trust God, God comes through and he does the miraculous. Look what he did to Catherine Drexel. Look at the impact of her life on Philadelphia alone. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. Like I, when you like read the lives of saints, you just say, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing!" And that's why they change the world. They really do.
2: And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. They might be saints, is because people can be inspired by these people who maybe are just average average uh average joes as you might say in that book and so i have 24 venerables and blesseds in the book and i tried to write it in a storytelling way so that people can sort of get to know the people who are going to be saints someday from america and they it can be inspiring to all of us who should be wanting to be saints someday as well so i think that uh you know telling the stories of these incredible americans uh, has been a, a fun exercise for me
0: awesome and and uh, Michael O'Neill is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinella and the Veritas Catholic Network. Michael, um, it's one thing, Leo, you hear people say all the time, oh, we need, to, we need to feed the poor. We need to feed the poor. Now, Joe and I, we're, we're, we are not saints, okay? Uh, let's be clear about that. We have fed the poor through, through through wonderful orders like the Missionaries of Charity. Joe, Joe in particular, has worked with them over the years. Sisters of Life, the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal, um, and others. Um and, and it, it really is an amazing thing to be around those people who have devoted their lives to the service of the poor. Obviously, the CFRs, that's, that's Father Solanus Casey. You know, we've been up to the Father Solanus Casey, who we mentioned earlier, the uh, soup kitchen up there. You write in the book about 12 holy souls who quietly devoted their lives to the poor. And the reason why I say I want to talk about this is because we have to get rid of the poor being something that's out there that we talk about in an abstract way. This is a very serious thing. Christ teaches us and commands us to, to feed the poor. Talk about some of these 12 holy souls who who devoted their, their life to the poor. Tell, tell our listeners about them.
2: Sure. And I think um, one of the aspects of the book that is so interesting is to see the way people's lives, uh, these Americans, changed, perhaps, uh, going from being a just a, a regular citizen and then sort of putting on that superhero cape uh, in many ways. And maybe it meant uh, entering an order or founding an order. And one of my favorite uh, of these stories, and I, I did a program of They Might Be Saints on EWTN about it called Mother Maria Kalpas. She was this uh, Lithuanian immigrant who came to the United States and she had never seen a nun before in her entire life. But she came to be a housekeeper for her brother who was a priest. And she saw these nuns and she found out these were women who lived their lives for God exclusively. And so she said, I want to do that. And before she did that, she was actually tapped to uh, found an order for the uh, the Lithuanian people in America. There had been all the other immigrant populations had their own sort of orders of nuns and, and priests who took care of them, but there weren't Lithuanians. And so she was, even before she became a nun, she was asked to be the foundress of this order, the uh, Sisters of St. Casimir, based here in Chicago. And there's also mother uh, venerable teresa dudzik from chicago as well a foundress of an order so you this book is chock full with all these people who were given this call and they were, they were faithful to God's call. And as mother Maria Kappa said, I will not be stingy with God. And she said yes to this insane request as a lay person to found an order of nuns and to become a nun. So uh, I, you know, I find all these stories inspirational. Uh, These people who uh, said yes in an incredible way or uh, Bishop Frederick Baraga, who we can talk about in the future as well, who came to the United States and, uh, and, and serve the people in michigan so it's absolutely amazing uh, these people whose lives changed with their big yes to
0: god absolutely joe resinello where we headed
1: i want to talk about Marian apparitions but i want to switch gears for a second because michael's from chicago and he may know about this gentleman Uh, the church hasn't recognized him but i've read about him brother bill who went into mother the cabrini green do you know about that guy who worked with the projects check it out because this dude is interesting he basically was a Notre Dame graduate and, and was about to get a big job, and he went into the ch- to a church in Chicago, and he prays before the Blessed Sacrament, and he says, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to go into the Cabrini Projects in Chicago, and as we all know, that's a rough place, and I want you to serve the people there. And he did. And he brought peace there. There's actually some talk about a movie that's going to be done uh, about his life. I bring him up is because God sometimes says insane things to people like that. Like, here's a guy who went to Notre Dame. He's probably an academic guy, you know. And he's like, I want you to go into the Cabrini Breen projects. And you're like, excuse me? What did you just say to me? No, no. That's what I want you to do. And he did it. And he brought peace to the gangs in that very dangerous place. I bring that up because God is speaking to all of us. Michael, if you knew me in college, you'd say it's a miracle that I'm talking like this, to be completely honest with you. God asks things of people that sometimes you say, what are you talking about? he's talking we have to listen to him talk about that just from the regular guy perspective you know because i believe obviously there's big miracles with a capital m but then there's the small little miracles miracles that happen to you every day to me to joe like to people who are listening to us god speaking we just have to listen that's right i think that if you were
2: to have uh told me that I'd be spending my life uh, searching for documenting and talking about miracles uh, as I was going to get an engineering degree at Stanford University I would have said, you're out of your mind I would have never thought that this is the path that my life would have gone on but Um, I feel like it was an important yes to God's call for me personally, because people need to hear these stories of miracles. People need to be inspired uh, to believe. And I think that for me personally, that was the big yes for me, uh, choosing something that at first glance, there isn't any kind of a career in being a miracle hunter. There's no such thing as doing this. And so I think that uh, being open to the Lord's call in this and sort of uh, finding out a way to make it all happen and uh, being being faithful to him in this way has is, is been very important for me personally. But I know that for each and every one of us, these uh, calls, big and small, we just have to keep our, our, our heart open and to be faithful to God uh, in these things because you never know where it's going to lead. God has a plan for all of us. Blessed be God in all his designs amen
0: absolutely blessed be god and all his designs michael o'neill joining us here at the front line with joe and joe joe pusillo joe russell you guys you i was thinking as you as you were talking it's like um you know, if if you told Joe said if you told him he'd be, you know where'd he be you know after his college career, it's it's amazing. Like we're we're Joe and I are on the radio with social media, all this stuff. If you told me we'd be talking to Michael O'Neill about Saints, you know, 15 years ago, I'd have said get out of here. I would have kicked you out of the room. So it's kind of funny. Um, But Michael O'Neill is joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rissinello on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, talking about his new book. They might be saints on the path to sainthood in America. Um, so Michael, um, let's let's dispel um, a notion if we might, this idea that we're talking about saints and we pray to saints, we pray for their intercession. We get a little criticism or maybe a lot of criticism uh, from those who say that we worship The saints, and obviously we do not. Describe for our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network the proper disposition when uh, for a faithful Catholic when it comes to devotion to the saints.
2: Absolutely, I think a lot of people get hung up by statues with halos, and you know, uh, people see us as kneeling in front of statues or, you know, invoking the saints. It seems like worship to a lot of people because maybe they do a lot of those same things with Jesus himself. And they say, you know, Jesus is the one mediator. I don't need these saints. Um, The church canonizes saints, uh, raises them to the altars as the phrase goes, not to sort of uh, put them in the hall of fame or uh, any, any such thing, they want to show us examples. And so, uh, there, there's, a, there's a two-prong process, I guess you could say. Showing us examples, we all want to know how to get there. And the concept of a saint is somebody who is in heaven with God. So, the church is saying, this is somebody who we firmly believe and we say is in heaven with God. So, here is an example of somebody whose life you can emulate and follow. Um, you know, anytime you, you know, I've, uh, I've assembled different things in my house where the instruction manual hasn't come, and it's 10 times harder when you don't have an instruction manual as you can follow that IKEA furniture and just go step by step. So watch, reading the lives of the saints or watching a program or reading a book, you can find out you know, how the saints did it and emulate them. So that's absolutely beautiful uh, to have that, that guide. So saints, we're supposed to follow them, and we venerate them. We don't worship them. We don't say that they're divine, no, nobody out there, even the Virgin Mary, she is sort of a super saint, we might say. Uh, we'd never have said that she's divine, and so we honor her, and the word is, we venerate the saints. And so that's the key, the key phrases there. And the idea that as Catholics, we believe the saints are in heaven with God, and therefore they have God's ear. So we are praying to the saints, through the saints, for their intercession, that they might help us. And Protestants and otherwise, you might hear them say— you know i'm i'm feeling sick or i've been diagnosed with this or that can you pray for me mm. They're asking us on earth to pray for them as well. And we're actually separated from God who's in heaven, but why not pray to the people who are in heaven and ask them, I've got this cancer. I've got this illness. Can you pray to God for me? So it's the same thing as if you're asking your friends here on earth to pray for you as well. So great models, great intercessors. That's the point of the saints.
0: I'm glad I'm glad you said that, Michael, because that's, that's what I always think when I, when I hear that um, when someone say that is, Oh, um, Jesus is the only mediator. Okay, then don't ever, ever, ever let me hear you ask anybody to pray for you, okay? Because you're telling me, you're saying, oh, my mom's sick, pray for me. Well, who the heck gave me intercessory powers? Pray to the ones that we know are in heaven who live virtuous and heroic and holy lives, okay? If, if, if you're asking me to intercede for you, you don't think that you could ask... Padre Pio to, to, to intercede for you. I mean, again, it's a little, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a little bit of, I don't know what the word is, but either way, I'm going to hand it over to Joe at the front line with Joe and Joe. Michael O'Neill joining us here, talking about his new book, They Might Be Saints on the Path to sainthood in America. Joe Racinello, we have probably about seven or eight minutes left. Michael, I want to give you a little bit of time at the end just to tell people where they could learn more about you, Miracle Hunter, all, the, all that fun stuff, where, where they could buy the book and all that.
1: You talked about the, in the first segment, Michael, the importance of Our Lady of Guadalupe in your mother's life, and obviously that has had a great impact on your family because look at look where you are doing this work. Um, I attribute that. Your mother planted the seed, and look look at this. It's amazing. All came from Our Lady of Guadalupe. I also have a big devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe, uh, who's the patroness of the Americas, and there's a shrine in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, just throwing that out to everybody. Cardinal Burke created that shrine. Very beautiful. Um, so it's not just for, you know, Mexicans, like, like you know, of people of Mexican descent. I mean, she is the patroness of the Americas. But talk about Marian apparitions. Obviously, that's approved. And say Medjugorje isn't. Um, talk about the difference between the two, because I think it's important, um, because to be honest with you, every once in a while, like we're, we're from the tri-state area in New York, you'll get somebody in Queens saying they saw the Blessed Mother in toast, and they'll be like it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And then, uh, you know, craziness starts popping up. So what's real? What isn't? What should we follow? What shouldn't we? Absolutely. And
2: I have to I have to mention that that lacrosse shrine in, in Wisconsin is very important to me personally. I spent many years working as a volunteer for that shrine in lacrosse, Wisconsin. And when they opened it up in 2007, they allowed me to be the very first person through the doors on the day of the dedication. Oh, my Lord. So oh, that's that my... is a very important place uh, for me personally. But uh, circling back to your question, uh, how do we know what's what's true and what's false? Well, the church actually has a very uh developed process when it comes to analyzing Marian apparitions. And it can be found in this 1978 church document called the norms of the congregation Prece- for proceeding and judging alleged private revelations and apparitions. And if you think that's a mouthful uh, you should see the Latin. The church really knows how to name documents with a catchy title. But when we talk about this, this we talk about, um, is it something that's believable as a true miracle? And so the church outlines all this criteria. And so they look at the, the visionaries and they say, have these people uh, lived lives that are virtuous? A person who's claiming a vision of the Virgin Mary, if they're out there doing this and that, that may run contrary to church teaching, they're probably not gonna approve that as a true vision of Mary. If these uh, visionaries are claiming something that is in contra- uh, is contradicting church teaching, then that's also gonna get the red flag. So for example, there was a visionary who said, the Virgin Mary is the fourth member of the blessed Trinity. Hmm. Even the math on that doesn't work out. So, you know, that gets the red flag as well. So if they are charging money for their vision, you know, pay me so that you can see me seeing the Virgin Mary, you know, that's going to get knocked out as well. Um, If they're out there for fame or for any other reason that's uh, untoward, that's going to get thrown out there as well. So it has to be a great moral probability of a miracle, and the visionary has to line up. All the messages have to uh, match up to church teaching. There's no such thing as the Virgin Mary actually appearing and saying things that don't make sense or that wouldn't uh, drive with church teaching. She would not do that. That would be Satan being an imposter in that case. So, you know, we have uh, a number of visions here in the United States. Uh, Mary Van Hoof uh, in uh, Nesita, Wisconsin in the 1950s. are still some people who believe that was an authentic vision, but, you know, she uh, began to claim visions of Mary, and big crowds, including priests, and some bishops would would even come out to see her, and people thought, well, maybe this is an authentic case. Well, uh, she kept speaking and speaking, and, you know, the popularity started building and building until she said uh, UFOs will descend to the earth and take the faithful to heaven. Well, you can't say UFOs and hope that the church is going to approve it. It just ain't going to happen. So, you know, that got shut down immediately. Or in uh, Bayside, New York, Veronica Lucan in the 1970s, you know, you know, she had these ecstasies, supposedly, the visions of Our Lady of the Roses, et cetera, big crowds came out to see her. And then she said, there is an imposter sitting on the chair of Peter. Uh, the Pope has been abducted and replaced and you know you can't say imposter pope and that hope that the church is going to approve it it just ain't going to happen so you know in this case we see another case where you get the red flag the condemnation of rome so the church will give three different uh, uh judgments and those are outlined in the document that i said from 1978 and they will either say uh constate non supernaturalitate that is latin for it is established as not supernatural so veronica lucan for example not supernatural. Don't need to spend any extra time wasting your money or your effort or your imagination on it. It's just not supernatural. Or the church may say, non constate supernaturalitate, not established as supernatural. It might be, it could be, but we're not sure if it is. It's not established. We'll keep our eyes on it, wait and see. We're going to just see what happens with that one. The vast majority of Marian apparitions, person is saying something interesting, maybe it's supernatural, but they don't really know, it gets this middle category, known constat. And then the apparitions that we all know and love, Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, uh, Cabejo in Rwanda, etc. It is established as supernatural, constat de supernaturalitate. And so that is the, the mark that the church gives it when they say, yes, it is worthy of belief in the supernatural character of the event. It's not just that the messages sound okay. The messages might say, Go to mass, pray the rosary, be nice to your fellow man. They all can say that, but those the ones where they actually believe a true apparition is happening. They say, "Constat supernatural etate. It is established as supernatural, and those are the ones that the church sets up a feast day for or celebrates around the world because those are the ones that are worthy of belief in the actual supernatural character of those events.
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question, uh, uh, Michael O'Neill, joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe, because we only got a couple, about a minute and a half left though. Um, you think America needs a Guadalupe moment? Joe and I say on the show all the time. Our lady uh, went there. If you if you never told me about the tilma and all the mirror and, and uh, all the what would you call them supernatural elements of the tilma itself that are not explainable by science. Okay, it's not a painting like well the skeptics want to say and all that fun stuff. Just look at the fruit of that miracle. The the entire country of Mexico, which was a depraved civilization the aztecs were depraved okay with human sacrifice and everything else and within a decade after the spanish had been trying for a while within a decade the whole country you know um converts um you think america might be in store for a for a uh guadalupe moment so to speak i know i pray for our for our lord to send our lady to straighten our country out what do you think
2: absolutely we do have the apparitions from 1859 in champion wisconsin our lady of good help for people who don't know about those apparitions those are approved by the church i encourage people to check those out they're the one and only case that happened here in the united states but could we use another vision of mary i'm sure uh, it would wake us up in a big way but uh, our lady of guadalupe is the patroness of the americas so she's good for all of us so i encourage people to uh, connect to those miracles of our lady of guadalupe as well i think they're inspirational for everyone
0: and mike Thank you, Michael. And where where can our folks buy the book? People can go
2: to EWTNRC.com, that's EWTN Religious Catalog, or just check out the website, TheyMightBeSaints.com for more information
0: awesome. Michael O'Neill, thank you for joining us at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. We truly appreciate it. We thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network 1350 on your AM dial 103.9 on your FM dial serving the New York metropolitan area spreading the truth of the Catholic faith Uh, Remember, download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content The feedback on the website VeritasCatholic.com, VeritasCatholic.com You can go on there, tell us what you think of the station, tell us what you think of Frontline with Joe and Joe. And finally, if you want to support Joe and I on social media, TheFrontlineTV.com TheFrontlineTV.com I know that was a mouthful. Having said that, join us next week and remember that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.